0: These last 15 times I've been talking about faith. Definition of explanation of Christian faith. We're talking about faith in God through Jesus' his Son, by the Holy Spirit, according to the... Don't worry, the, the, uh, the children are going out to their time together. That's the threes to eight and the age to twelve. All right. Faith in God through Jesus' his Son, by the Holy Spirit, according to truth, according to Scripture. Faith is not a power we operate like Star Wars Force. Faith is not focused upon an outcome, but upon God who will bring the thing about. And faith is God, but Jesus said, have faith in God. And Habakkuk 2 defines the whole of Christian living. It wasn't Christian living, it was just upright living as a Jewish person when it was written. But this is picked up in the New Testament a number of times. We are the people who live by faith, it's a way of life. It's not just a pastime or whatever, it's a way of life. We live by faith. And today I want to turn to faith and love. You might think, where did you put those, th- those two words together? Well, actually, they're put together quite a few times in Scripture in the New Testament. We just haven't noticed They appear up very often together in Paul's letters to the churches and in his personal letters to Philemon, Timothy, and Titus. So we're going to start, first of all, <coughs> with that famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which is often read at weddings. What's that got to do with weddings? I don't know, but... Uh, Um, we'll start back a little in chapter 12, and I'm going to read it to you as Paul interrupts his discussion of what we generally call spiritual gifts, but are literally the things that belong to the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, the things that belong to the Spirit. And he he breaks off in his discussion about how we practically use the, the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to make this central, right in the middle of the argument, this central and foundational set of statements. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed those in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Those are all plurals. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Yet earnestly desire the best gifts. Yet I show you, suffers long and is kind, love does not envy, love does not parade itself, it's not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in wickedness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away, <clears throat> for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. But now remain faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Then the next chapter begins, Pursue love and desire the things the Spirit. You see we may be impressed by the exercise of works of power, healings miracles, prophecy, but they may be of little or no value at all unless they are done in love. Those things or works of the Holy Spirit will one day come to an end when the perfect comes. We're not in the perfect yet okay? so we still have them. But love will endure forever. Faith, hope and love characterize this Christian life now. But the greatest is not faith, but love. And the reason we should desire the things of the Spirit is so we may better serve the people we love, the body of Christ. <clears throat> In Paul's letters to the church, I'm going to read you only a few of the references that I've got here. And when he starts a number of his letters, Ephesians 1, I... Since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Just how he starts Colossians. We give thanks to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. He writes to the Thessalonians, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus. Uh, Two Thessalonians, you write them again, we are bound to thank God always for, your, for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you abounds towards each other. Now, those are just a few of a dozen scriptures I could have given you. But I didn't want to stand here just reading scripture to you. I could have done to make the point. More than 12 times in the scriptures, Love and faith are put right up against one another, and most of us have never even noticed. Here's Jesus. He wrote seven letters to seven churches as well. They're in Revelation 2 and 3. This is in his letter to Thyatira. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, by which nowadays we mean endurance. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. That's quite a commendation, isn't it? He still had something to correct them about. Then in Paul's letters to individuals, Timothy and Titus and Philemon, Timothy and Titus were, were addressed as church leaders whom Paul had mentored and he'd left them behind in Greek cities, certain Greek cities to, to continue the work of disciple making and leadership training. And he writes to Timothy, "...the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus." He tells Timothy to be an example in faith and in love. He tells him to put on, man of God, these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. And then he writes again to Timothy, 2 Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Again, twice more in 2 Timothy, is the same kind of words. Writing to Titus, another junior leader, he says to Titus, teach the older men, That's me. To be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience, endurance. And then he finishes his letter to Titus. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. They love us in the faith. Shared faith, shared love. And when he's writing to Philemon, a man who needs to receive a runaway slave back as a brother rather than as a slave. Paul starts by commending him. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints. Faith and love. Faith works through and towards love. You see, we're not going back to the law. We're not going back to the Old Testament and to the rituals and sacrifices and the festivals and all that because we're not under that covenant. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But this is how we live, folks. Faith working through love. Think again about those things of the Spirit. Miracles, signs and wonders and all that I want to get into those things. Why? So you could be somebody doing something or because there are people hurting who need help. There are your brothers and sisters who need encouragement. Oh God, please give me a word for them. They're to be motivated by love, not ambition, but by love. Faith that works through love. That's a verse I haven't very often heard preached But Faith is supposed to work through love. That's the base of it, the motivation of it, the energy of it, the drive. Love should motivate faith. Faith to work, faith to serve others, faith to pray for others, faith to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to help the saints, to receive something from the Spirit, which you then pass on, so they're helped, they're encouraged, they're built up, they're comforted, strengthened, assured. Faith in Jesus, again and again in Scripture, is connected to love for the saints. In fact, that's that's what it said. That's what the faith and love are talking about. Faith towards God in and through Jesus is connected to and produces love for God's children, the saints. Faith in Jesus is produces love for his people. So, the very idea that you can say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I don't do church, and I don't have a lot to do with with other Christians. Really? What fool idea did you get from that? Here's Jesus on the topic. And this this is the scripture that fires John to say again and again in his two, three letters. He's coming back to this command of Jesus. He kept talking about his command, his command, his command. It's this command. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And in case, some people kind of smooch that around a bit and say, we just got to love everybody, just got to be nice to everybody. Well, that's, all, that's true in a way, but that's not what Jesus was saying. Look at the next verse. By this, all will know, all men, all people, all the world will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. As Christians have loved for one another, the world sees that we're serious about this faith, that we're his disciples, because we're keeping his commandment to do this very thing. So it's something that the unbelieving world needs to observe. They get a spillover of our generosity and kindness and whatever else, that's fine. But it isn't that we just just be the same with everyone. No, we, as we pay particular attention to serving one another in love as the body of Christ, the world sees and knows that we are his disciples. So John says, we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. That includes sisters, all right? Just an inclusive phrase there, don't worry about it. He who does not love his brother is still in death. He remains in death. He's not awake, he's not alive. He's not alive in Christ if he hates his brother. This is his commandment, Jesus' commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. Faith produces love. Believe on Jesus and love one another is he gave us commandment. I'll skip 1 John 4, 7. But I'll just do this last one, 1 John 4, 20. And again, I've only taken a few out of the many in John's Gospel. This one, John 4, 20, is a punchy one. You ready? If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him. It comes back again to the words of Jesus. That he who loves God must love his brother also. How can you claim to love an invisible God when you don't love the invisible child, the visible child of God? Your fellow Christian. And the goal of teaching, when I missed that earlier, I'm going to go to now. The goal of faith and truth is love. Now, the purpose of the commandment, the purpose of teaching, the purpose of the scriptures, the purpose of preaching and teaching Particularly, that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. Now, things have structure in language, and you can do this in English and Greek and all sorts of places. But that's how this is structured. The goal of God's word, read, preached, taught, is to produce in us love from From three things. From a pure heart, from a good conscience, from a sincere faith. Kind of three foundations, like a tripod has three feet. This love is built on three foundations. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, let's talk about love for a moment or two. We need to get away from a sloppy sentimental idea about love and grasp what the Bible says about love. Because love is not about what you feel, it's what you, what you choose and what you do. I've said, stood here, said this a number of times before, but when we do a marriage service, don't ask her, how do you feel? We say, will you love? You make a commitment to that person, vows to one another. It's a choice and it's actions. It's good the feelings get you to the front to make the vows. The attraction, the affection, and all the rest of it. It's good that that gets people to the point of being married, but, when you, but the, 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 for that, that relationship to continue on through the years, it needs more than the affection and the, emo, the emotion and the interaction. It needs to have covenanted, decided love. John 3.16. We all know John 3.16, don't we? Okay. Let, me, let me chuck a different version. God's Word translation. It's a modern translation. And it's very accurate and it cr- translates the word so as this way. Nowadays, have you noticed younger people nowadays start whole sentences or paragraphs with so? I can't get my head around the one. You ask them a question they go, so. Anyway, King James Version has God so loved the world. But that means in modern English, God loved the world in this way. This is what it means. He gave his only son that everyone who believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. That is how God... It's not, we're not told what God felt, what went through his mind or his heart, if you want to use that kind of analogy. You know, he was so fired up and so emotional. And, you know. No, God chose to send his son, to offer his son for our rescue. Right? That is how God loved the world. It's not an inquiry into what happened in eternity. It's, it's a publication of the fact of what God did in time because he loves us. His love is seen in Jesus being sent to the world and then sent up to the cross. That famous scripture tells us that love is an attitude. Yes, it's also a choice. Love has actions. And as you keep making the choice and p- making, choosing the actions, the works of love, guess what? You begin to become more like that. You're developing character. Character is produced by regular behavior. Chosen regular behavior. You choose to stop doing that and you start to do this. And as you keep doing this, you keep choosing to do it, so you change. You develop character. I knew this was going to be a shorter sermon, so I wasn't so worried that the time was going. It's a chosen attitude of mind. Scripture says we are to put on certain things. To put on. Put off old ways of, and put on. The new man. Put on, put on, put on. That means we make a choice. I'm, I'm, I'm setting my goal on that. I'm looking at that and determining I'm pursuing that. I'm making those choices, not those choices anymore. It's a decision and choice we make to pursue righteousness, to pursue love, to pursue wisdom. And we then choose words and actions which serve and help and encourage and support others. Now, we do that in family life, but we need to do that within the body of Christ too. And then serve also the world. But first of all, first priority, after our own family household, is the household of God, the family of God. And in time, that develops a whole new level of character in us. What we do begins to, begins to be who we are. Now, that happens negatively. You give yourself to some bad practice, then what you do becomes who you are. But if you do it in terms of pursuing righteousness, Christ-likeness, what you do will become what you are, who you are. Now, I'm going to move into communion but I've got a bit to say as we go into communion, so bear with me. Do you have one of these, by the way? or Sam or someone will... Anybody got one? You got one? All right. I think we're all there. Good. All right. One of the places in Corinthians Paul talks about communion, he spins it around. And he, he says this, this this rather strange thing to some of us we, he, he, let me paraphrase very much paraphrase it. We all take a piece of bread because we 're all part for the same loaf, you know as they broke bread in their meals and an evening meal you know and a glass of wine was passed around as well and so on, they would pass around a you know a, a piece of flat bread, think of a pit of bread or something like that, a piece of bread, and they would take a piece and paul, what paul says. The reason we all take our piece of bread is because we are actually one loaf in the Lord. We're together in this. When we take our little wheat wafer here, which never was a piece of a loaf, but never mind, we are saying again, Jesus is our bread of life, and he is in us. This going into me symbolising again that Jesus in me is the bread of life but then wish it had come from one loaf, because we are also saying, and my brothers and sisters are co-heirs of this salvation. They are my brothers and sisters. Whether they're my particular close friend or not, is a secondary issue. They are my brother my sister in Christ Jesus. We are one people, one family in God. That means... There's a value in our togetherness which we so easily forget or even don't concern ourselves about. Our being one in the Lord is the other part of our salvation and inheritance, the communal part, the community part. The Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, in the holy worldwide church, That's what the word Catholic means there. And the communion of saints. I believe in the communion of saints that when Christians get together, there's something more than just being pals. There's fellowship. There's a sharing of grace. There's a strengthening of faith in fellowship. For months, we were prevented from meeting together. And we're still struggling to get in the habit of doing things midweek again. Perhaps we hadn't valued fellowship or communion of saints. And this is communion in terms of breaking bread, but communion is also what happens when we're together and we share life. Perhaps we still don't value it. That is fellowship enough now. There's an old hymn of Charles Wesley's that starts, And are we yet alive and see each other's face? It's a sense of wonder. Hey, we're still here. We're still meeting. We're still seeing one another. And are we yet alive? Listen, folks, post-COVID, that's a good hymn. Are we yet alive? Yes. And we're seeing one another again? Oh, hallelujah. Faith, hope, and love are what we have now. This side of heaven. And we have them together. We share them together. Therefore, in this moment, please bear with me, this is what we'll do. We do this. We untab the top. And we take the little wafer. And we together say, Jesus is in me. I am in him. And we together are in him. One body, one love. Amen. And think that sealed the covenant of God, the love of God to us, this new arrangement, setting aside all the restrictions and so on of the Old Testament, was the blood of Jesus. And when he'd finished shedding his blood, it was finished. So we give thanks, and the symbol of his blood, grape juice. Thank you, Lord Jesus.